God. And that's exactly what we're going to look at. In fact, this, this chapter is pretty much divided in half. The first half showing man's rebellion and disobedience to God. And then in the midst of that, and this is what God always does, when things are really bad, God sends someone to change the tide. Someone who is that candle in the dark. Someone who makes a difference. Someone who's willing to be obedient and to live by faith. And that person that we're going to look at and start looking at his life today is Abraham. You realize, and you can look through the Bible, and maybe you can find something I haven't found yet, but the only person that is ever referred to in this way is Abraham. Abraham the believer. We'll look at this at the very end of the sermon. Just Abraham the believer. I don't know of anyone else. There are plenty of other believers in the Bible. But Abraham is referred to by God as the believer. One other thing he's referred to. It says he was a friend of God. Wow. We're going to end again with those are two of the things I'm going to end the sermon with. But we start with judgment because people are in rebellion against God. Doing things their own way in prideful ways. Trying to make a name for themselves. And we end with someone who is willing to be obedient to God and to live for God. <clears throat> so, I encourage you, if you will, please, to follow along. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, but with one more point of background. You will find in the previous chapter, in verse 31, it says, These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, notice plural, according to their lands, according to their nations. All of that is plural. Then we get to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words, and you go, See, I told you the Bible has contradictions and it's confusing. No, it's not. Here's exactly what's going on. Genesis chapter 10 gave us a broad perspective. Genesis chapter 11 is simply going back and giving us one detail of how the whole thing worked. How the whole world was populated when they decided to rebel and not do what God had asked them to do. If you'll remember, this exact same scenario shows up in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1 says, here's what God did. He created everything. He did it in six days. And then Genesis chapter 2 comes back and says, oh, by the way, I'd like to tell you how exactly I did this, how I created Adam and how I created Eve and all that. That's exactly what we're looking at this morning. We're dealing with the same time frame. God had instructed them after the flood that they were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Real simple commands. Just multiply and move out and go in all directions. Eventually they will do that, but not out of obedience. They will do it because God is going to judge them. We're going to see that today, and we're going to see how that all fits together with chapter 10. So it says here, the whole world, or whole earth, used the same language and the same words. Instead of dividing up and moving out as God had told them, they decided that they would thumb their nose at God. By the way, rebellion doesn't care what direction it goes. Before the flood, they were exceedingly violent and corrupt. 
They were killing each other. Now they're going, oh, we're going to live in peace. We're all going to stay together. And uh, because of that, uh, we will just be great. We'll make a name for ourselves. Doesn't matter what direction rebellion goes. God, uh, Satan doesn't care how he gets us off track. And that's exactly. In this case, it's willful pride to stay united when God had said the opposite. Now, I'm sure in your family it doesn't work this way. I don't know a thing about it. This is just theory for me. Is Sometimes people just are stubborn because the other person said something different. You're supposed to laugh at that because I know exactly what I'm talking about. And you do too. Because sometimes we just are so stubborn that if our spouse says one thing, we automatically say we have to take an opposing point of view. (sighs) No, okay, none of you have ever done it. Okay, just me. But you know what? It's what we do. And we do it to God. And that's what they did here. God said spread out. They said, nope, we won't. So we're going to stay all at the same place. We're all going to speak the same language. The fact is, it says we, they, it's going to say later that we decided we don't want to spread out. But here's what Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24 says. It says, but what the wicked fears will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. You see, they feared spreading out. Because they knew if they spread out, they'd have to trust God. But they're going to stay together and they don't need to trust God. They're going to do it their way. And God said, okay, you won't do it. The easy way, we'll do it the hard way. And he, as you know, brought judgment and separate them. It says in verse 2, it came about as they journeyed east, they came and they found the plain of Sinar and settled there. This is a place that is just a broad place that looked good to human beings, that we can build the civilization here and uh, we can be self-sufficient. Remember... From the very beginning, man has always tried to be independent of God. Purely pagan, heathen, atheistic, humanistic people can accomplish great things. Don't fool yourself. Remember Cain's line from back in chapter 4? They were the ones that had all the technology. They made the instruments. They had the equipment and the tools. They did all of those things. Not because they were glorifying God with them, because they thought when they had those things, they could do whatever they wanted. These people have a different technology. They're going to do something that had never been done before, long before the pyramids. They built pyramids. And that's what they did. But here's how they did it. They took and they baked. They fired the brick. The normal would be that you would make bricks like we would call it adobe, out of Sun-dried mud, basically. Well, that's not that stable when it gets uh, stormy and rainy and all kinds of things and weather beats on it. But they literally fired the bricks. Look at verse 3. They said, come, uh, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said, we will make an artificial product out of mud And we'll make it as hard as stone, like brick we have today. It's really hard. If you've ever worked with it, you know that it's very hard. And it should be, because, and that's why we use it, because it's very durable. And they said, that's what we're going to do. From what I can tell, that was a new technology for them. 
It doesn't seem anyone had done that before. And then for mortar, instead of putting uh, Portland cement and sand and things like that in, they used what we would call asphalt. And it lasts a long time. How do I know it lasts a long time? That's exactly the same word that was used for what they did with the ark, where they plastered it inside and outside with asphalt to keep it from leaking. And so they built this artificial mountain that looked pretty much, when we can tell, like a pyramid. And they said its top will be into heaven. And on top of that, according to uh, other sources, not the Bible, but other sources, on top of that they had a small temple. They believed that was the gateway to God. And according to other secular sources, every brick had the name of their God inscribed on it. Merduk was the name of their God, and every brick had his name on. They're building something that's a focal point. Our focal point should be God and what he says. What are they doing? Totally rebelling. They knew the truth. Remember, a rebel is not someone who's ignorant. A rebel is someone who knows the truth but doesn't practice it. They're also foolish because they know that it's right, and instead of putting what's right into practice and being wise... They do the exact opposite, and God calls them fools. Well, they're foolish, but they have something to focus on. They have this giant, miniature, man-made mountain that probably everybody who lived on the plain of Shinar could see. They also bragged in secular sources that their city was impenetrable. No one could attack them and break through the walls. And they also said, by the way, we are the gate of God. We have the way to get to God. Wasn't a God with a capital G. It wasn't the God of the Bible. It was a God of their own making, as I already mentioned. And so they said, come, verse 4, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. That confused me in years past. It's like, hold it a second. Did they believe And this is so unscientific that they built something so high that it would be in heaven. That's not what it's talking about. We use, we'll say if something blew up, we'll say it blew sky high. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 28, it's talking about a city going into the promised land. Here's what it says. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of Anak there. In other words, the what they are simply saying is this. It was sky high. It was big. It was up into the clouds. And probably this was high enough that on a cloudy day, it, the top of it was probably in the clouds. That's what we're looking at. So it's not like some unscientific thing that they could build something that reaches into heaven. That doesn't happen. It's simply their way of saying they built it really big, higher than everyone else. Just like walls. That reached to heaven uh, in other places in Scripture. But notice what it says as the verse continues. And let us make a name for ourselves. That is pride. That is what we have today. used to be someone was a hero or somebody was popular because at least they could throw a basketball, shoot a basketball, or throw a football, or run fast, or, or do something spectacular. Now we have celebrity. Just a name. All you need to do is put out a sex tape, and everybody knows your name. I'm not sure why they would want to know your name, but they do. You know, I just want to get my name out there. 
As somebody said, when you think you've left your mark on the world, watch out for people with erasers. I don't know if Peter is still here yet or not, but on his desk, he has an eraser about this long, it says, for big mistakes on it. You know what? The truth of the matter is, they're making a big mistake because they said, we don't care about God, we want our name to be the one that everybody remembers. By the way, we do remember them now, but not in the positive, in the negative. And they go on to say, as, as I've already mentioned, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They wanted themselves and their technology and their work to be the focus point of everything. Remember, the whole world. That is the line of Shem, that's the line of Cain, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ham, and the line of Jetha. They're all there together. The whole world spoke the same language. The whole world lived in that one big expanded city. That's where they were. They were and made themselves the focus point of all of creation. They absolutely were in open rebellion and living out their independence from God. Now, God sees what's going on. I don't know that God has to come down to see this, but here it says in verse 5, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, and notice what it says, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now, notice next, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. They said, hey, we want a one world. We're all going to be united. Remember back in the 60s, a few of you were that old. Hey, everybody get together. Smoke a little dope and we'll all get together and we'll just have one big happy society. Boy, that really worked. United Nations says, hey, we're going to get the whole world together and everybody will live at peace. Boy, that really worked. You know, it doesn't work. <clears throat> it wasn't a new thing. It was back here. They said, hey, we're going to get together and uh, we're going to do this. And God said, you know what? I built into man some very powerful things. I already said it once already. I'll say it again. Man can do some phenomenal, awesome things on his own. I'm not, I put this, I grew up in a house, literally I remember when there wasn't a spigot at the kitchen sink. I actually remember that, I was six years old. I helped my dad, help is a very loosely used word here, dig a ditch from the milk house to the house to put one cold water spigot at the kitchen sink. Now if you don't have plumbing anywhere but the kitchen sink, you know where the bathroom was. That's how I grew up. Let me tell you something, I like technology, I do not want to go back and live in that house. Okay, so I'm not anti-technology at all. I'm just saying, technology can be used good or bad. In this case, they used what was available, and they used it to thumb their nose at God, go their own direction. But they could do some phenomenal things. This world has done phenomenal things, and I'm not against them. But many times, this world and the people who use them, use them so that they can be independent of God and make a name for themselves instead of what we were singing this morning, praising God, adoring Him, focusing on Him. Just the opposite. It's, as I said, open rebellion. When people get together, as you probably figured out, I, I was a, a boy 
uh, and boys tend to get together with their buddies, and every time they would get together, it usually, with nothing to do, landed up bad. Anybody disagree with that? Okay, all the guys got to say amen on that one. My grandpa had a saying actually. Uh, once a year, and I believe me, I am not that old, but somehow or the other, I'm a generation behind myself. I literally remember my grandfather digging potatoes out of the ground with a team of horses. Now, they were my great-great-grandfather's horses, but my grandpa was doing it. Then I remember he got a Ford tractor, and we did use the Ford tractor. But he would get all his grandkids together. So that means me and my brothers and my cousins to pick potatoes. I don't know how many potatoes. We thought it was acres and acres, but it was a bunch of potatoes. It was probably as big as this room here, and we would pick potatoes. Now, that's using the word pick potatoes or the phrase pick potatoes loosely. That worked for about a half an hour. Now, when you get about six or seven boys together and they got potatoes in their hands, guess what happens after about a half an hour? You know, And my grandpa, I remember him saying this. He would get spitting mad at us. And I mean really mad. He had a temper. He would get really mad at us. And he'd go, one boy, good boy. Two boys, bad boys. Three boys, no boys. (laughs) Well, guess what? When you get people together, they think, oh, we're going to get this and we're going to do something great. That's what they said. But the problem is... It usually lands up being a problem. And that's what happens here. So God says, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. He says, let's go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, how that happened, I talked about last sermon, so I'm not going to go over that again. But they literally scattered, first because they couldn't speak to each other, And so that brought chaos, and Babel means confusion, and that's what happened. And notice, they all, the whole world used the same language, and then they were spread over the whole world. So here's what it comes down to. All the people living were right there. And after he confused their language, and uh, we saw last week, Peleg, it says, in his days the world was divided, and that's, that's the time frame. And so they're spread out. And it was still possible to do that after the aftermath of the flood and the, the, um, the ice age, the lower level of the sea was possible. They could just take land bridges and go right across and go the whole way. Shortly thereafter, that no longer was possible. Obviously, that doesn't work today anymore. So the whole world was at one place, and then the whole world was scattered. Not out of obedience to God, but out of the force of of judgment. So you can have it the easy way or the hard way. You can be obedient to God and do things right the first time, or you can let it up to God and eventually He judges. He doesn't judge right away. Did you notice it took 120 years before He brought the flood? This case doesn't tell us. We don't know the exact time frame. But I know it was long enough for them to build an artificial mountain. How about that? And a city that they believed was impenetrable. So God doesn't judge immediately. So if you think, well, I'm doing, I'm doing my own thing, but uh, you know, God doesn't seem to be a, have a problem with it. 
uh, just keep doing it. You'll find out eventually. Because God uh, continues on. But we need to continue on. Because in the midst of this judgment, God is always working to bring about His desired results. We are very thankful. I'm, I'm thankful to Stephen. If you remember, right before he was stoned, he gave a sermon. In that sermon, he gives us some very interesting history that we don't even find in the book of Genesis. Some of it we do, but some of it we don't. But in Acts chapter 7, where he is preaching that sermon, he says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Abraham was living with his family right down here in Ur. This is the Fertile Crescent goes like this. I have another one I'll show you later. But he's way down here. And the truth of the matter is, according to Joshua chapter 24, he was an idol worshiper. See, the whole world was disobedient to God. They are now spread out, but it didn't make them obedient people. They're still worshiping false gods. They're still doing their own thing, but now they're spread out. And Abraham's among that. All three sons of Noah's line were tainted by this whole mess. The rebellion and sin against God. And so God comes and doesn't force Abraham to do anything. But he comes to Abraham, a man who is an idol worshiper, serving the gods beyond the river. He comes to him and says, I have a job for you to do. Are you willing to trust me? Remember, Abraham the believer. That happened not in the next chapter. It happened before this. It happened back when he was in the midst of idolatry. That's where he started. And God said, I'm going to take you to another country. And he took them with his father from down here to Haran. Kind of followed the Euphrates River up there uh, to Haran. But Stephen goes on to say, when he left the land of the Chaldeans, that's the same as Mesopotamia, and settled in Haran, from there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. That's Jerusalem. Next sermon, this one a little bit, but next sermon makes it clear. In case anybody is here and doesn't believe Israel is God's chosen people and the land of Israel is God's chosen land, sorry, you can get mad at me if you want, but you're wrong. Because from the time of Abraham, God promised to Abraham and his descendants the land of Israel. Stephen believed that in his day. The Bible has never changed, but the world says get rid of Israel. Including, and this is political, but our country is not doing them any favors. And I know what the next chapter says, because those that bless Abraham and his descendants will be blessed by God, and those who curse that Abraham and his descendants are going to be cursed by God. Folks, I want to be on the right side of that. That has never changed. And it never will as long as this world exists. Just the way it is. Most of Christendom says Israel's, Israel's gone. God's done with them. He's moved on. The church is now God's chosen people. God's chosen land. There really isn't one. It's just the church. Not true. We'll see that the whole time as we go through Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, that never changed. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 5. But he gave him no inheritance in it, 
Not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession to his descendants after him. Abraham, while he was given the promised land, never actually owned any of it. He was in it. He moved around in tents. We'll see next week he landed down in Egypt. Uh, because of, of various things and got himself in trouble again. Next chapter is backwards of this chapter. Uh, but he said, you know what? This land is going to be given to your descendants. It's a permanent possession of God's chosen people, the Hebrews, eventually down to Israel, down through Judah, uh, to the Jewish people of today. That has never changed I told you I had another slide. What they did is when they started out down here, they moved up. Abraham stayed here with his father. This was an act of faith. He believed God. He was willing to be obedient. And he stayed there till his father died. And after his father died, he moved down into the promised land. You can see that's a whole lot bigger than Israel today. We'll get to that in a future sermon because God gave them more than just a little tiny strip of land. But uh, nonetheless, that's what happened, and that's what um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Stephen was telling the people of his day, but he says, you know, you've always been stiff-necked and rebellious. But God made it clear, and now we're looking at the last part of the sermon this morning, the last few minutes, because not only did, was Abraham obedient But Abraham was more than simply obedient. He went way beyond that. He became, as it says here, a friend of God. He followed him one step at a time. It wasn't all at once. He was like us. You say, well, I don't know if I could be like Abraham. Well, maybe you're not. But if you think of it this way, Abraham took a first step. Then he took a second step. And then God had to tweak his life over and over and over again. See, we get saved by faith. You trust Jesus Christ, His shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You're a Christian. But that's not the end of living by faith. That's the beginning of living by faith. It's only the beginning. We live step by step, moment by moment, event by event. And we have to make choices as we live if we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do. Now it goes on to say in verse 30 that Abraham, verse 29, uh, that Abraham got married to Sarah. And in verse 30 says, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Obviously, we're going to come back to that. But they went together. They went from Ur. They went to the land of Canaan and they settled there And that's where uh, God began to work in other ways in his life. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, and I already told you about this. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Here's what it comes down to. You may not identify real well with Abraham until you think this through. See, he is the one, the original one, that God says he was the believer. When you look at the New Testament, you will find over and over again that when it talks about faith and living by faith, it always comes back to Abraham. Why? He was before the law. 
There are people today that still believe you can keep the law and get to heaven. doesn't work that way. Because the New Testament says, hey, look at Abraham. There was no law given. It was by faith. So here's how we identify with Abraham. If you trust Jesus Christ by faith, you have the same faith that Abraham had. You are like Abraham, the believer. Because you have the same faith. You are blessed with Abraham. Isn't that interesting? You have a closer relationship with Abraham than you might have thought if you've trusted Christ. But it doesn't stop there. In James chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. It says that when he believed, something was credited to his account. That's what the word reckoned means. Credited to. When he believed God, God credited to him what? Righteousness. A right standing with God. That's forgiveness of sins. That's eternal life. You go, wow, that Abraham was pretty cool. So if you believed, truth of the matter is, you're a friend of God. The New Testament says, I've called you friends. That's what Jesus said. So guess what? You might have a closer relationship with Abraham than you believe. But there's one last passage that we're going to look at today before we close. And you might have guessed already where that's going to come from. And that's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. You know, that's the hall of faith. And it says there, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. Notice, it is given to him. It's his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Never been there before. That's what faith is like. In case you think faith is scary, if you want to see it that way, it is. But faith isn't, oh, just trod back over the same path. Faith is going where you never were before. Not out of ignorance, but out of obedience to God. It's not faith in just something. It's faith in what God says and what Christ has done. It always has a source. It always has a focus. But it doesn't stop there. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Now notice, the promise of that land wasn't just to Abraham, but it was to Isaac and to Jacob, and it continues on. And then verse 10 is the one I want to leave you with. Because Abraham was not short-sighted in his faith. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The total opposite of the beginning of this chapter where they said, we're going to build a little mountain. It's going to go all the way up to heaven. We're going to focus on us and we're going to make a name for ourselves and we're going to disobey God and we're going to rebel against God. Abraham was looking for a city that's not even in this world. His mind was on the one who called him. He believed there's something even better than this world. A city that doesn't have concrete and cement blocks and bricks and stone and mortar for a base. It's a heavenly city. And that's what Abraham was looking for. If you've trusted Christ and you're looking forward to 
eternity with God forever in a new Jerusalem who man did not build, then you're a lot like Abraham. See, Abraham was way ahead of his time, as they say today. He was way, way far ahead of his time. The rest of the people, we're going to make our name for ourselves here on this earth. Everybody will look at us and they'll think we're great. By the way, they did some great things. But Abraham said, no, no, no. Something more important than that. I'm going to trust the one who's above this earth. The creator instead of part of the creation. That's who I'm going to trust. And so from the very beginning, before the law, before the the gospels, before any of that, Abraham was the one who was the believer. He was the one that was the friend of God. And he was the one that was looking forward to beyond this earth, beyond the temporal, but to the eternal. He was looking to heaven. All of us can have that. If you've trusted Christ, it's already yours. You may not know it and understand it. But if you've never trusted Christ, you need to trust Christ. Because there is something beyond this world. Abraham knew it. Jesus taught it. The disciples continued to teach it. And it's written down for us today. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, what a great God you are. And we thank you that in so many different ways, from the Old Testament to the New, you have shown us the work that you want to do in our lives. Thank you for showing us that the blessing comes from trusting you being obedient to you. But Lord, you have not left us without the record of those that rebel and are disobedient because you will bring judgment in your perfect timing. Lord, I pray that all of us would know that we are right with God through Christ. And as we leave this place, that we would not only know that, but we would live it to the fullest in the time ahead of us. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless Go with God.